This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a delight to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who are watching today. Over the past several uh, programs, we have been talking, discussing a subject entitled Navigating Life's Troubled Waters. Today, we want to continue that particular theme. We hope that you'll watch for the next few minutes as we discuss that subject. All of us understand that there are difficulties that we encounter in life. And as we encounter those difficulties in life, sometimes we're made to wonder, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? How will I navigate life's troubled waters? We'll discuss that today. Stay tuned. Today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course, and I'd like to emphasize that it is free. There's absolutely no monetary cost to you. We want to make it available to each one of you today. We have multiplied thousands of people all over the world studying this Bible correspondence course. We'd like for you to have a part in it as well. And all you'll have to do is to follow the directions we're going to give you in just a few minutes so that you can become a part of of thousands of other people who are studying the Bible by way of correspondence. In order that you might know more about the course itself, in order that you might know how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, Write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'd like to read now from Matthew, the 14th chapter beginning in verse 22, and I'll be reading through the 33rd verse. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Jesus, saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. And straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. 
This is one of those interesting incidents that took place in the life of Jesus Christ that most people are familiar with, the time that Jesus walked on the water. And in this story, there are three kinds of problems that are illustrated. There are problems that are imaginary, problems that are unreal. As Jesus was walking on the water, the the, the, the disciples cried out and they said, it, it is a spirit. And they were very afraid. But that was not exactly what it was. It was Jesus walking on the water. So it was an imaginary problem they saw. And then there are real problems that we have in life. There wasn't anything imaginary about the storm that they were encountering. It was very real. Many of the storms that we face in life are very real. It's real when we, maybe our home burns or we lose money in an that we've invested in the stock market or, or we have the death of a loved one or there's the loss of a job or the loss of our health. All of those are very real. There's not anything imaginary about those kind of losses. And then there are problems that we encounter in life because of poor choices that we have made. And Peter began to sink because he started looking at the ways rather than at the Lord of the ways. He made a poor choice. And many of the problems that we encounter in this life are as a result of poor choices that we have made in life. But the fact is, all of us have times where we ride in the ship on the stormy sea, on the sea of life. And the question arises, how will we navigate life's trouble sea? None of us are going to be exempt. Job 5 and 7 says that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward, just as certainly as the sparks will go up from the fire. It's just that certain that man will encounter a certain measure of trouble and problems in this old world. Think about Job. He was a good man, greatest man on the earth in that day. And Job encountered all kinds of problems. Job lost his earthly goods. He lost all of his cattle. He lost his children. He lost his health. You, you talk about being wiped out. You talk about a recession. You talk about a depression. Job encountered it, didn't he? But the Bible says in all of that that Job sinned not, and he did not charge God foolishly. But Job believed in God. And Job came out on the other side of all of those problems in a victorious way. But you say, Brother Lambert, that's Job. What about me? Well, what about here in the 21st century? That's, that's way back there in the Bible. And, and we're having so many problems today. We're having economic problems today. Now, that's true. We're having some unparalleled economic problems for, for this modern day. Uh, some say that in America there have not been the kind of economic problems that we encounter today since the Great Depression. I don't know whether that's a fair comparison or not, but I know that there are many people that are now unemployed. There are people that are losing their jobs or going to lose their jobs. It's going to be a very difficult time, not only for people in America, but for people all over the world. You see, this economic crisis not only affects one part of the world, it affects the entire earth. So how are we going to navigate during this particular time? I want to suggest something today that I believe will be a benefit to you. And it's the, the, I want to think about one little word. It's the word contentment. 
if we're going to navigate life's troubled waters successfully, we must become a content people. And we owe it to God to be content. God has been so good to us. You think how good He has been to people in America, how good He has been to people throughout the world. He has given us a wonderful world in which to live. He gives us the air to breathe. He gives us the sunshine. He gives us the rain. And, and all of those are blessings from God, and we owe it to God. He is a God who owns the whole world, Psalms 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And He is a God who is able to bless us richly and abundantly, according to Paul in Philippians 4 and verse 19. And our hearts ought to be so filled with gratitude that we say, uh, bless, my Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Psalms 103 and verse number 2. God wants to bless us. More than any other thing He wants to bless us. He especially does He want to bless His children. In Matthew the 7th chapter, Jesus asked this question, If you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? So God wants to bless us, and we need to be content with what God has given to us. And God is going to help us and be with us during this time. There, there's a passage in Isaiah the 26th chapter and verse 3 that I think that all of us need to think about. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I believe that's talking about a person who lives a life of contentment. I believe we owe it to God to be content with the things that we have that God has given to us. We owe it to ourselves to be content. We'll be much happier if we try to live a life of contentment. And we owe it to, to other people to be content. If we live a life of contentment, not only are we going to be happier now, I'm convinced that we're going to live a longer life. People who are always discontent, always fuming and complaining about their lot in life, uh, have so many physical problems that are brought about as a result of their attitude of discontent. I, I'm convinced, I, although I, I'm not a, a, a medical person, but I'm convinced that people are going to live a lot longer if they live a life of contentment. We owe it to other people. Yes, indeed, we owe it to other people to be to contented. Our example will rub off on other people. If I'm content, it's going to cause people around me to want to, to be that way as well. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. And indeed, we are the light of the world. And of all people in the world, of all the people in the world who ought to be living a contented life, surely, just surely, it ought to be those people who claim to be the children of God. We, we don't need to be going around complaining about what we have and what we don't have. Paul in Philippians 2 said, Do all things without murmurings and questionings. That is, don't do it with complaining. And some think there must be some form of reward offered for being a complainer. But let me assure you, there are no rewards for being a complainer. So we need to be a contented people. But you say, well, what, what do you suppose Paul meant in Philippians 4 and 11 when he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in there, therewith or therein to be content? 
Well, what do you suppose Paul meant by that? Keep in this in mind in, in that passage where Paul talked about contentment, that, that Paul was in prison when he wrote the Philippian letter. And, and he's writing to those on the outside, be content. He said, because I have learned to be content even while I have been imprisoned. And so what did he mean by that? I have learned to be content. I don't believe that Paul meant by that that he no longer cared because Paul was a very caring person. In 2 Corinthians 11, the chapter where there is an enumeration of all of the various peril, perils that Paul encountered in his ministry as an apostle, it closes in verse 28 by saying, And besides all of this, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all of the churches. When Paul said, I'm content, I've learned to be content, it didn't mean that he ceased to care. Nor did it mean that he was satisfied with himself. That he wasn't satisfied, that did not mean that he was satisfied with what he had done. Someone asked an artist on one occasion, well, what is the greatest masterpiece that you've ever painted? And he replied, my next one. He meant by that that I'm not content with what I have done. Paul was not content. In Philippians, the third chapter, in verse 12, he said, I've not yet attained. In other words, I've not arrived. And then in verse 13, he said, but, but for, I'm forgetting the things that are behind. That meant forgetting all the accomplishments that he had achieved in life. And he said, reaching forth unto the things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus. So when Paul said, I have learned to be content, that he didn't mean he was satisfied, nor did he mean that he had resigned to the fate that he had in life. He didn't just give up. He didn't say, sit in that prison cell. He said, poor, poor old Paul. Here's poor old Paul. Here he is in prison because he's out, been out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what Paul meant when he said, I have learned to be content. You see, Paul understood that, that, that you cannot give up. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, he said, For which cause we faint not. One translation says, For which cause we do not lose heart. And that, in fact, is what this means, that we do not give up. We do not lose heart. So when Paul said, I have learned to be content, it didn't mean that he had decided, I'm just going to sit down and, and cry forever and, and, and feel sorry for myself. So what did Paul mean when Philippians 4 and 11, when he said, I have learned to be content? And Paul meant that he understood that contentment came from within and not from without. Contentment has to do with what's on the inside of an individual. It has to do with their heart. It has to do with their attitude of mind. It has to do with their faith. It has to do with their trust. Rather than all of the various things that they can see or the things that they own, the things they possess. Paul had learned to be content with where he was in life. Somebody says, well, all of that sounds good, Brother Lambert, but how do you think that I'm going to learn to be content? I've had many people to tell me, you know, I'm not really a very content person. I, I, I just... 
I just seem to, to, to worry about things, and I, I find myself sometimes complaining about things. I complain about the fact that I don't have a, a new clothes to wear. I complain sometimes about the food we have to eat. I complain about the car we have, the house we live in. I, I just seem to find myself complaining more. Why, why, can't I, why can't I live that kind of a life? Well, let me give you some suggestions. Things that I believe will help you to live a content life. And if you can learn this lesson, I, I promise you, it will help you navigate life's troubled waters. You're going to have a better life, a happier life. Number one, you have to work at contentment. It's not something you're going to have by waking up one morning and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm content. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 11, I have learned I have learned to be content. You see, this is something you have to work at. There's something you have to, 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 to give diligence toward. So you have to work at being content. But let me make another suggestion at, at, in, in developing contentment in your life. And that is you need to count the blessings that you have. And don't always be looking at the problems. Don't always be looking at the bruises that you've encountered in life. Count your blessings. As the song goes, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I challenge you, I challenge each one of you that are watching right now, start counting your blessings. And I think you will be absolutely amazed at what the blessings that you have. Why don't you get a sheet of paper and draw a line down the middle of it. On one side you put your blessings. And on the other side of that line, why don't you put down all the bad things that have ever happened in your life, that are happening in your life. And I promise you, I promise you that the blessings that you have are going to far outweigh all of the bumps and the bruises and the problems and the difficulties and the adversities of this life. Start counting your blessings Name them one by one. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. And I believe that we ought to be thankful for everything that happens to us. One little boy said he was thankful for glasses because it kept the girls from kissing him and it kept the boys from fighting him. We need to be thankful for everything that happens to us in this life. But another suggestion in learning to be content and that is you need to transfer your attention to higher things. You see, if we're not careful, we'll always be looking down. We'll always be looking down at this earth. We'll always be looking down at, the, at, at what we have or don't have. You say, well, the neighbors next door got a new car. I'm not now happy with the car we have. I, I want another one. You're not content. Or, or one of your friends gets a new home and you say, oh, I, our house is not nearly as nice as that house. I'm just not any, I'm no longer happy with what we have. I'm, I'm just not content any longer. It, you, what you're doing is you're looking down. If you want to learn to be content, you need to transfer your attention to higher things. Listen to Paul in Colossians 3 verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now listen to him now. Set your affections on things above, and not on things on the earth. 
for the most part, we are a this world-minded people. But if you'll start thinking about the next life, the next world, if you'll start envisioning this old world as just a, a dressing room for the world to come, then the things that we have in this world will not be nearly so important to us. They'll just be things. We, we are a people in America who, who are just all wrapped up in stuff, in things. We are things-minded. Jesus in Luke 12, 15 said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And bro brother, we, we possess a lot of things. You know, one of the, one of the greatest businesses I think a person could go into nowadays is building these storage units where people will go pay money to have a place to store stuff they don't use, don't want, don't, don't, will never look at again, will ne clothes they'll never wear, furniture they'll never use, and they'll pay money, and they will wind up paying money, more money to store it than the stuff is worth. But we just think we have to keep it. We're just, we're just caught up in stuff. We're caught up in things. If you want to be content, stop thinking so much about stuff. Stop thinking so much about things on this earth and think about heavenly things, higher things. Then another suggestion, if you want to be content, stay busy. I know you've heard that an idle mind is a devil's workshop, and I think that's true. The busiest person I've ever read about in all of my life was Jesus Christ. Acts 10, 38 says, He went about doing good. You know, I, I've learned that if I'm busy trying to help other people, I don't have time to, to complain. I don't have time to feel sorry for myself. I, I don't have time to have a pity party. I, if I'm busy, I don't have time to, 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 to be discontent about what I have or I don't have. I, I want to suggest to you that you stay busy. Stay busy. Help people. Why don't you go and volunteer to, at the hospital? Why, why don't you volunteer to help somebody that's really in need? There may be some widow or widow that lives in your neighborhood that, that could stand some help. They, they need somebody to help them. Maybe somebody to go get their groceries, somebody to carry them to the doctor. Stay busy trying to do something for somebody else. Don't be so wrapped up in yourself. When you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a pretty small package. Did you know that? We need to give ourselves away to other people. Now here's another suggestion in learning how to be content. And then th think how bad things could be. Things could be so worse, much worse. I, I know people right now thinking in our country it couldn't be any worse than it is. Oh, yes, it could be. If you were to talk to some of the older people in our nation who survived the Great Depression, what we refer to as the Great Depression in our country, and you compare what happened during the Great Depression with what's going on in our country today, we have it good today. As bad as it may be, as bad as it may seem to you, we have it good today. I, I, so far as I, I've been able to determine, I've not seen any bread lines. I, I've not seen people lined up on the streets just to get a cup of soup. I've not seen people walking down the streets that have holes in their shoes and they have put cardboard inside their shoes so that they will, uh, because they can't afford to go buy a pair of shoes. We still have more, even in the depressed economic state that we're in, what they refer to now as a recession, we still have more than people have had in any other generation. 
we still have it good. Think about how bad it could be. Things could all be always worse. I, I was visiting in a hospital room one day, and there were two women in the room, and this was many years ago, and it was a small country hospital, and, and they didn't have a place to put people who were on life support. One of the ladies in that room was on life support, and it wasn't long until the lady eventually died. And there was another lady that I was visiting in the bed right next to her, and and she was complaining about this and complaining about that and this hurt and that hurt. And I'm sure she was uncomfortable. But, but, I, but I listened to it about as long as I thought I wanted to. And I finally said, Sister, how would you like to trade places with this woman? She's about to die. Oh, she said, well, I guess it could be worse. And I said, yes, ma'am, things could always be worse. We need to look on the good side. Look on the bright side. Try to find the ray of sunshine in our lives. Things could always be worse. Like the man's wife who ran off with another man and a friend of hers, he has heard about his dilemma and he came over to comfort him and, and the man whose wife left him just kept saying over and over, it could be worse, it could be worse, it could be worse. He said, man, how could it be worse than that? Well, he said the fellow could bring her back. Well, you see, things could always be worse. If you just live every day thinking like that, that things could be worse than they are, you'll learn to be content. Let me give you another suggestion, and that is learn to appreciate the simple things in life. You know, in 1 Timothy 6 and 8, Paul said, Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Earlier in verse 6, he had said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he said, if you have something to eat and something to wear, you ought to be content. Have you ever stopped to think about it? That you could really survive if you had something to eat and something to wear? That that's really all that's necessary for survival. We're talking about survival now. And anything beyond food and raiment is a luxury. Now, don't misunderstand me. I like the luxuries. I like the fact that I have a house to sleep in and a bed to sleep in at night and, I, and that I have an automobile to drive. And I, and I like the fact that I have a, 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 a comfortable place to live every day. But really, when you get down to the basics of life, all we need is something to eat and something to wear. That's really all Jesus had, wasn't it? We can be a content people, but you'll never be content without Jesus. Jesus Christ will bring a, a, a joy and a happiness into your life like it did the man in Acts the 8th chapter. Here's a man who had Jesus preached to him by, by Philip the evangelist. And the man was hearing him preach about Jesus and the, as they were riding along in his chariot. He said, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, you can if you believe. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down, they got out of the chariot and they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him and he went on his way rejoicing. He was now a Christian. He was now saved and you can be too. I want to urge you to live this kind of a life. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. 
If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible Correspondence Course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. This is a free call. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.